My name is Cooper Marsh. I am uh, one of the owners of Lab Management. We're a boutique sports agency that focuses more in the realm of uh, marketing deals for athletes. Uh, I went to community college and played soccer there. And when I transferred to state school to try to save money, I realized, you know what, I want to bolster up my resume a little bit. So I studied abroad and was fortunate enough to kind of backdoor my way into uh, Oxford University, found myself over there coaching CrossFit at the gym to be able to train. And I met somebody who worked in a supplement realm for the company X Endurance. And that's kind of how I forayed into CrossFit. So once I left college, I did two years of Teacher America. I was an eighth grade math teacher. I got my master's degree in education. Then I went into working full time with X Endurance. That's how I met my mentor and current business partner, Jason St. Clair, who is one of the owners of X Endurance. I left X Endurance and went full time into the agency realm under his wing. And that was about five years ago. And now I lead the day to day with lab management. Um, and we just recently merged and brought in two new owners, uh, partners, which are Daniel Robbins and Matt O'Keefe. So now uh, there's four of us in here cooking. Um, and you know now Daniel and I are kind of in lockstep, uh, and we also just hired on our first guy Zach Long, who is you know kind of a agent under the umbrella, and he's running and gunning too. So we're we're growing and flowing. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I mean uh, that is a cool story. I've been following it for a while, and you mentioned a few things in there. So Oxford University, that's over here in the UK. It's the most prestigious school in the UK. How did you find that? What was it like uh, getting an education in one of the world's biggest institutions for education? Yeah. So, I mean, in reality, man, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a total, uh, you know, ego head here and just be like, Oxford is the most prestigious university in the world. Cause it kind of is like, I mean, I've, I've known about Oxford. It's just, I have no business being there. Um, but when I transferred from community college to uh, UMass, my GPA reset. And so I found myself as a junior having figured out how college works, but having to pick a major and stick to it. So I picked economics because it was the closest thing to business that I could get into. And when you're in freshman level classes as a junior, you kind of actually show up and you do your work. You're not out drinking and, you know, being an idiot. So I had all A's and my GPA was high. And I was like, how can I go to a school that's going to make my resume look cooler? And I saw that there was the opportunity for Oxford and they said, you need to submit a 10-page paper. And I thought, well, I've written an eight-page paper, and I think I failed it. So that probably won't do, but whatever. I guess I'll send it in. And I went and talked to the guy who ran student uh, study abroad affairs for UMass Amherst. And uh, his name was Dr. Kalpin. And he, uh, he actually was from England, was a graduate of Oxford, and he used to work at the University of Georgia. And they had a program directly tied into Oxford University. And he said, hey, I can, I can just put you in through the University of Georgia. I was like, how do I don't go there? He's like, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. So I filled out a, a one page paper with my address and my t-shirt size. And he was like, what was your GPA? And I was like, I don't know, man, 3.9 or something. He's like, perfect. You're in. I said, All right, man. So off I went. And when I got there, I quickly realized I was not, uh, not prepared for the level of education that Oxford, uh, has. And, uh, I probably failed one or two things and then figured out how I could, make my way through and, and get the grade that I needed to go on. And that was a little bit of a, uh, I think a life, a life lesson, right? If there's a will, there's a way. And also you need to be in tune socially with how people operate. And uh, I just finished the book, how to win friends and influence people. And I feel like some of the lessons that I learned from Oxford were 
spoken about in that book because one of the professors when I came in, he, you know, he, he put the book on the table and said, I took the liberty of, you know, printing the book off for you guys. I wrote it. And I was like, okay, that was a, that was a flex right there. Uh, so when you write a, when you write a textbook, you clearly have some serious subject matter knowledge. And, uh, after I think I failed his first paper, which was a 10 page paper, couldn't escape those things. You had to write two a week. Um, I was like, wait a minute. He just, he wrote the book. So if I just refer back to everything he said, he can't argue with himself. He has to agree with me. <laughs> and so I just started quoting him every week. And I next paper, A, 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 A. And I was like, got it. Crack the code. And I was through. You hacked education. You basically just... That's I, I hacked Oxford because trust me, man, I did not like... I was not necessarily the, the biggest book student, but I feel like I had enough wherewithal and my, you know, my mother struck enough fear in my heart to get good enough grades so that I would stay out of trouble. Um, but I always feel like I was kind of more of a, a street smart slash people person that I could navigate, uh, navigate things enough. And I, I think I, I think I also just lacked passion in education, right? Like it's completely different when, you know, you own and operate your own business. Like it's all I can think about. It's all I, you know, it's like I, I live and breathe it. I dream about it, you know, and, it's it's it, it means the world to me and i'm very passionate about it so i think if you uh you know if you're not necessarily passionate you can figure out a way through but that was kind of my education it's more to your credit that you outmaneuvered oxford and oxford professors uh, professors professors i think um than actually getting an economics degree or whatever you ended up with from it from oxford i think it's more impressive and probably stood you in good to be a sports sports manager well, to be clear, I, I only studied abroad at Oxford. I did not get a degree from there, so I cannot claim that. But yeah, I, I made it through, and it was it was great. It was an amazing time. Can you just give us a quick overview of some of the athletes on your roster and some of the brands that they're working with? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, now that we've merged with uh, Daniel and Matt O'Keefe, we uh, we have a, a quite extensive roster, but. You know, those the likes of Pat Belner, Justin Medeiros, Brooke Wells, et cetera. But the ones that I work with day to day um, are like Danielle Brandon, Josh Bridges, Amanda Barnhart, Alexis Raptis, Dallin Pepper. Uh, and then obviously the other more traditional sports as well that we work with. So um, those are the people that we work with. I think, you know, kind of what we were talking about offline, um, you know, some of the brands and the, the partnerships that are the most exciting and have, have been the most fruitful are ones like you know, Danielle with Rad Global um, and, you know, or like Amanda Barnhart with Reebok, things like that, where it's, you know, it's um, some really heavy hitting brands or, or exciting new brands that uh, have done a great job within the partnership with the athlete. So a lot of the people listening to this will be looking at, you know, they probably do UGC, user generated content. They're probably using um, small influencers. Some might be using larger influencers in terms of audience size. What do you think are the kind of main benefits of a brand partnering up with an athlete? And do you have any insights about maybe the Daniel Branded and Rad relationship? You can just run us through that story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I can speak to the main points through kind of that Rad story. Um, Rad being the brand, but also it's a Rad story. Uh, so the the first thing is that, you know, it needs to be an authentic and, and genuine uh, endorsement, right? So, I mean, as an athlete, you use a lot of different things. You, you, you know, you run through, um, 
you know, sorry, this desk just moved down on me. I don't, it's my girlfriend's desk. I don't use this. Um, but here we go. DBE rad. Um, so yeah, it's gotta be an authentic endorsement, right? So that's the first thing. Uh, and so with Danielle, she was, you know, pri- previous to uh, rad, she was with Nike. Um, Nike really, really wanted to retain her. But when Rad came knocking, the opportunity just seemed eerily too too good to be true. Almost, um, you know. Obviously, we had sat down with Ben. I mean, he flew across from England to Texas to be able to try to like court her and, and have a meeting with her. Um, he pulled up a PowerPoint and said, you know, these are the athletes we're looking at, and it was just Danielle's fo- like seventy different photos of Danielle, and he's pretty much like either you're with us or we're launching without you. Um, which I thought was amazing, right? Because obviously an athlete wants to feel wanted. Um, I mean, a human being wants to feel desired. It's just like basic, you know, standard human being nature. So, um, you know, then she really enjoyed the shoe when she tried it, right? I mean, he sent a shoe, I think that wasn't even in her size and she still really liked it because he didn't have one in her size, which is hilarious. Um, And then he painted kind of the roadmap and the vision of how she could be involved as, you know, somebody who actually has ownership in the brand, but also as an athlete figurehead, what it is he's going to do to create. Um, and I mean, she was bought in, right? So she genuinely liked the product and she believed in the mission. And so that kind of set the foundation, the table for what it is they were going to do. Um, and then they took off from there and he's, he's lived up to it. Right. So I think, you know, you need to have uh, a genuine joy and, and belief in the product and the brand. And, you know, there needs to be a mutual admiration between, you know, athlete to brand and brand to athlete. And then, you know, the brand needs to stick to what they're going to do and actually come through on what it is that they, they talk about, which, uh, you know, they've delivered across all of that. And then some, so, uh, it's kind of started to create the gold standard of what a brand and athlete, um, partnership should look like. Yeah. I mean, it- it is an incredible partnership and um, one that is equally is endorsed but feels so authentic from Rad's perspective. The things that they're delivering feel like they're made for, well, they are in some cases made for Daniel Bradman. Um, but the way she then endorses it as well uh, is just so natural. It doesn't feel forced at all. Um, and they're doing some incredible things together. Is there ever a time where you think this is this is something new? This is something interesting. Is especially with that relationship? Have you thought oh, maybe this is the way forward for brand partnerships? Is there any been any sparks? Any moments you think oh this is how it should be done? Yeah, I think. I mean, a hundred percent. There are ways where it's. I don't think it's it. It is how it needs to be and should be done. Um, for example, I mean DBE Day, right? So that launched at Wadapalooza. Um, we flew out to London beforehand and we did a whole photo shoot with her video shoot, uh, you know, really kind of just dove headfirst into, you know, the rads hometown and HQ and, um, you know, their creative team at Fluoro, like they, she went full submersion, got the total experience. Um, but they really, they took on the things that make Danielle, Danielle, not only like in the public eye and like on the competition floor with like the hair and being weird, but like down to like her nails. And, you know, she doesn't give a a darn about what anybody thinks she is who she is. And that's just, she's just like, you know, unapologetically herself. And so they created this idea around a day that would just be all about Danielle. You'd be, you'd be, it'd be immersive, right? You'd be stepping into Danielle's world. And so you know, they had nail technicians at Wadapalooza where you could get your nails done for free with the DBE flower logo on it if you bought one of her pro model shoes that launched. So it really kind of set the stage of like, 
if you're going to activate and, and you want people to buy into a brand and buy into a partnership with the athlete, like you need to spend the time getting to know the athlete and then utilizing that to bring the consumer closer to the athlete, because that's all fans really want, right? Is to feel close to the athlete uh, and feel like they have a part of them that they're involved. And so I think rad does a very experiential uh, marketing method that really works and lets people feel like, you know what, I'm like, I'm on this DBE train, like, let's go, you know, I'm going to be myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to try and break that relationship down a little bit and just understand the business, business mechanics behind it, because um, from Rad's perspective, what do you think they get out of the, the relationship? And um, how do you see that changing from when they first got involved with Daniel Brandon and then moving into the future? How is that going to evolve? Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, I think right off the bat, what they got was validation. Uh, I mean, if Danielle is one of the top athletes in the world and she's very cool and, and sought after, uh, especially after the whole 2021 games, which she had to deal with the whole uh, COVID side of things, um, you know, her brand exploded. And so she was the new hot, hot commodity on the market. And so by her saying, hey, I'm rad, it immediately had people being like, well, I want to be rad too. I want to try the shoes out. So I think just right off the bat, right, it helped them make a splash in the space and turn heads. Um, I think now moving forward, it'll be about, okay, well, how are you going to create and continue to change things up to keep it exciting and and to utilize Danielle for who she is, but also who she's going to become. Um, and so I think that they're doing a good job, but they ha- they have such a long I don't want to say like leash, but they have, she has so much um, room to roam and grow that Ben and Rad just want to support her. They don't care. So, uh, you know, she's going to do what she does and, and they're, they're just going to support her no matter what, because they, they like love her like family. And so uh, they'll be, she'll be able to kind of grow into whatever that next version or iteration of Danielle is. And then they will be in lockstep with her to create and keep things new and exciting. So that down the pipeline, as they grow into new sports or new shoes or apparel or whatever it is they do, um, you know, she'll, it'll have her stamp of approval and her backing and, and it'll be, you know, an unfiltered, raw, honest backing because they truly want what's best for Danielle and they want her feedback and they want what's best for the brand. And, you know, it, it all kind of just, snowballs together but then the same question to you about danielle what does danielle get out of the relationship with rad uh freedom to roam and grow yeah just to be completely herself i mean there's no expectation of anything on her from them and i think when that happens and athletes realize that the brand just wants to support them through and through and just be a part of their journey, then the athlete in turn wants to go above and beyond for the brand. I think as soon as you put a ton of expectation and you start to nitpick and micromanage, you immediately get, you know, walls put up and athletes are like, well, I'm an athlete. I want to focus on this. I don't want to have to do all of these things that then all of a sudden become a nuisance or become annoying. And then the the partnership doesn't actually take off like it's like it could. Um, So that's the thing I think rad does the best with Danielle is that they, uh, they let her just be her and just, they just support. And they're like, Hey, whatever you need or however we can create, let's do it. Or, Hey, we're thinking this idea. What's your feedback? Do you like it? What would you do to change it? And she gets to sink her teeth in and really be a creator and somebody who actually has a voice within the brand. And, uh, because of that, she'll go out on her shield for them. 
So, so I mean, is that something that you think is exclusive to the Brad and Danielle branded relationship in that she is so embedded in the brand and the brand is so embedded in her? There's a lot of trust there by the sounds of things. But for other brands that maybe have a roster of um, higher tier ambassadors that are maybe less interested in being part of the brand, can these relationships still work, do you think? Or are you bullish on literally just having this deep integration in everything we do? I think deep integration is great. I don't think it is necessarily sustainable for all brands, but I also don't think it's the goal for all brands or necessary, right? For something like Rad, I think um, the ability to do such wildly different things is what's helping them separate themselves from the market and be um, one of like the hottest new brands out. But I, I'd say um, looking at like other brands, for example, maybe it's um, like ESC Audio, right? Small headphone company. Harry does a great job of just supporting the athletes, believing in them and sticking up for that. Like even down to the thing where you see Instagram posts where the CrossFit games maybe doesn't recognize one of the athletes as well as he thinks. Like he's going to comment on it and be like, you forgot Dallin Pepper. You forgot Amanda Barnhart. Like, but those little things go a long way because the athlete's like, damn, that brand's got my back. Like I like that. Um, and so they're going to support even more. And, and, you know, although it's a small company and, you know, it's not Nike money or whatever, it's still going to be, something that they're they're passionate about because of that backing and that that uh that like belief in them uh but if you look at rain uh another you know a massive company being that they're rain itself not so massive but being that they're attached to monster right who's massive um you know kellen does a really good job of just supporting and and just letting athletes do as they please doesn't put a ton above their head just like hey if you want to create we want to create with you we want to have some fun let's do it like you know, he does a good job of just being like, you know, you guys do you be athletes, but when you're ready to kind of tell your story, like we'll, we'll do it for you. We'll help you out. Um, and, and we'll go for it when the time is right. And so, you know, athletes genuinely enjoy being involved in a partnership like that, where they can, um, you know, go above and beyond, but also if it's a really busy time of the year and they maybe go a little bit more dormant then no, no sweat either, you know? So it looks different across different brands um, just based on what I think the company needs. But I think overall a brand, whether they've got 30 high, high profile athletes or two, um, you know, they can carry themselves in a way where they put the trust in the athlete and uh, you know, get a lot back. That being said, I also think some athlete or, you know, some athletes aren't as good at, at going above and beyond or fulfilling or talking, you know, to the audience or their community or their fan base, whatever. And so, you know, they might need a little bit more coaching up or a little bit more handholding, but, you know, there's a way to do it where, you know, athletes don't feel uh, pestered or, you know, talked down to or micromanaged or whatever. Awesome. When, when you engage with brands, what typically are they looking to get out of a relationship with an athlete? And does that often match up to what an athlete is willing to deliver for a brand? Yeah, I think it depends. It's, it's You can't just put a blanket answer and say, yeah, uh, the brand's looking for this, right? Because obviously, if you look at it just from a business perspective, it's a, it's a marketing play, right? Um, when a brand attaches themselves to an athlete and pays an athlete money, the ideal situation is that they're going to get ROI, right? So if you're not if you're going to get return on investment, then great. You should continue keeping that athlete around. But that shouldn't necessarily be your play 
because I think sometimes companies forget that they have their own marketing funnels and marketing teams and they have a job to do as well. And the athlete is just one component. So if somebody comes in and they only want ROI, it might not be the best fit because it's like, hey, we want to flash in the pan deal. We're hoping to make a ton of money on this cash grab and dip. And that's just not necessarily going to work. It typically takes about six months for a follower to identify an athlete to a brand and a brand to an athlete. Uh, which is why partnership deals that are at least a year in, in, in length is the safest and the healthiest thing for the brand and for the athlete's brand, like their personal brand. Um, but I think, you know, companies need to stop looking so much at ROI as the only metric and look at it as a, as a term of like, hey, this athlete's going to allow you to use your NIL so you can use that to whitelist and that's going to help, you know, for advertisements. Um, it's going to help validate the brand. It's going to help get eyeballs on the brand. It's going to help get link clicks. That's going to show up to the website, which ideally you're cooking, right. Or, um, you know, they drop their email. So then they're in your marketing funnel or SMS, whatever. Like there are so many different things, um, and, and marketing tactics that brands use and an athlete is just one portion of that. And it's like, if an athlete gets somebody to your website or into your marketing funnel, they have done their job. Now it is on you to convert them. Uh, so yeah, I feel a little passionately about that. Yeah, I think I think that's completely right. It's really difficult. Obviously, the brand is looking for a return that you have to try and deliver, but it's um, not quantifiable in the same way that running a Facebook ad is, uh, and it's also a human. So just so much dynamic dynamics at play. So when you're looking at let's say a year long agreement or um, uh, partnership with an athlete, are there any predefined deliverables? Um, and then how in general, how are those mapped out over the year? Is it literally like every minute of what the athlete does with the brand is planned or is it more liberal or does it change per company? Can you give us some insight? Into oh, it, 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 it totally changes per company in terms of deliverables. Um, it can vary from, from business to business. Um, it just depends on the nature of the deal and, and maybe even what it looks like monetarily, um, in terms of how, like stringent they are and strict in terms of timeline. Um, it can be, some can be wide open. Some can be, uh, you know, no deliverables, do whatever you will. Uh, others can be, you know, Hey, we have a set posting schedule that we'd really like to stick to. And, you know, ideally the athlete knows that going into it, or we know that as a team going into it. So they've agreed to it. In which case I'm, you know, I'm very firm on holding up your end of agreements. And generally speaking, a brand's coming to you with ideas, concepts that they want to execute and they see an athlete as part of that idea and they simply want your sign-off and an athlete agreement and, and the, the monetary side dealt with. Or are they coming to you looking for ideas you know, and saying, look, this is what we have. What, what, what would you do? Yeah, so with, with brands, I mean, I'll answer this two ways. Uh, first, like in terms of coming to me, sometimes the door knocks for me, sometimes it doesn't. For the most part, I'm out like hunting brands. Um, now, if and when we're working with a company, uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely have ideas and things that I, I'd like to, you know, share about athletes and athletes have their own ideas too and their own creative things that they want to go about and we'll talk about those things and then we'll present them to the brand or say hey we want to do this will you support us um but there's just like so much more to these athletes than just their athletic endeavors and the accomplishments they've done there and so you know being that i'm very close to my uh to my athletes like i feel passionately about telling those stories and 
you know, so we, we try to push and do those things. Um, but there are absolutely times where brands have, you know, uh, things they want to create content, they want to shoot. Um, and just, you know, we, we have to ideally work, work with them and, and, and execute on what it is that they're thinking. So can you just run us through, you don't have to name any names, but can you run us through a recent, um, brand encounter where they sort of contacted you or you contacted them and then made the campaign happen and the kind of break down the steps that were involved in that in a rough timeline and maybe average that out to what it normally looks like if there is a, a standard play for that yeah i mean i, I guess I'd, i i'll go with one it's funny though like it technically wasn't anybody that i work with directly but it, there were lab athletes involved but um you know rain hit us up said that they wanted to do this cool buttery bros thing where they uh it was called the buttery games they reached out about um probably six weeks before they were going to do it uh and we we're booking some time in vegas and then followed up probably like a month out um so you know justin Maderos, ellie turner danielle was scheduled to go out uh they were all going to fly out about a month later spend a few days shooting, you know, content for the website, but then also, uh, and, and their personal use and like, you know, hero shots, things like that for athlete pages. Um, but then they also were going to have some fun and, you know, cross pollinate the different rain athletes. So they had strong man and fitness influencers and bodybuilders and CrossFit athletes. And they were going to all kind of step into each other's world and do some wild things um and 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 then have a competition called the buttery games and so they shot for two days and then you know the boys did their thing and edited it all up and then started to launch it about a month later um which creates a lot of excitement around rain and uh just just great great content that people want to you know digest so it's probably a two-month thing start to finish unfortunately uh danielle got real sick and literally couldn't leave her bed so she had to bail out of that but the content was amazing and you know, they crushed it, but that one was, um, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more planned out, but not, you know, not a, not this like long, crazy production. It's just, you know, they kind of shot from the hip and had a ton of fun with it. And, you know, then some awesome content came from it. That is something that I watched Kai Green do burpees was a particular highlight for me. Um, and, and Thor putting, putting a track with his very small girlfriend. Um, it was a great series. Uh, I watched it from the Battery Rose perspective um that's a super interesting one rain has been so dominant in this space i saw them first with buttery rose again obviously a little while ago they've been drinking rain for a long time um so how okay so rain are a big brand uh, like you said attached to a larger brand how how does that play out when you've got buttery bros who are creatives you've got a lot of different personalities on the ground who who's actually in control of delivering a valuable outcome whether that's content or whether that's website photos the rain take the lead on that and do you give the responsibility to them to deliver what they want from it and you're providing the athletes you're providing the talent or is it more of a dual approach where you understand the objectives of Rain as a business, what they need out of it, and you actually also almost get involved and coach to those objectives. Yeah, I think I think for Rain specifically, they have their formula and what it is that they want to accomplish. So they have their guys. They've done this, you know, a thousand times. And like we were, we did a photo shoot with them and Danielle and Mal um, at uh, in Miami at, at Wadapalooza, one of the gyms and. 
you know, the athletes just show up and they know, you know, they know what kind of photos they want. They have a shot list. They've got everything, you know, set up, blacked out, you know, made very dramatic and cool. So I think rain, they just, they take care of business and they do what they do Uh, in terms of the buttery games. Like I think the buttery bros know exactly what they want to do. And they had a whole shot list too. I mean, we got a like a 45 page PDF of everything that was going to go on, which is kind of nice to know, like, day by day schedule what the shots are who's on when where just so that we can take care of business and maximize in in the time that we're there and be as efficient as possible uh, for different brands though like i i think a lot of athletes if they're if they're passionate about the the partnership they they understand and recognize and uh spend the time kind of learning more about the brand and what their what their look and vibe is and then they can go out and shoot content and oftentimes these athletes will have photographers or videographers show up to their gyms and they'll book time to shoot content that's true to them and their personal brand and how they utilize things but also that matches the vibe and taste of the company they're working with so you know you're not going to see like fee sagathi when she's shooting for toe spacer she's not going to utilize um she's not going to be like weird and like try to be playing into like foot fetishes she's gonna show how she utilizes toe spacer for herself for the longevity of her knees and the different you know products they have like the trigger porn ball and things like that to you know uh reduce the soreness in her calves um so she and she knows like you know toe spacer takes that stuff seriously and they're you know they're serious about they're not just like some weird foot company you know there's there's purpose to this and so you know if he's if he's an athlete and she takes her training and recovery seriously and so you know, it aligns and she's going to create content that's going to look great on her page and be authentic to who she is. But it's also going to be stuff that, you know, Toastface is going to want to utilize themselves too, because they know Fee gets it. 100%. So do you, as a manager, take the responsibility to pull that content from the athlete and then distribute it to the brand? And is that, or, or does, does it change for agreement again? So it would be, I wouldn't necessarily step in there because I don't I don't like to like micromanage my athletes if I don't need to. They're all adults and human beings that can handle some of their own things. So I like to make sure that they have communication with brands and a point of contact there so that they can feel connected and the brand can feel connected to them. Uh, we are trying to like make a partnership after all, right? Not just a uh, one way, you know, bank routing transfer. Uh, so I think that they typically provide that in, that that. Uh, information of that content but ideally they're providing it post payment to the content creator like the brand should be paying a content creator to be able to utilize that we're not just shooting because sometimes the the athlete will create content and pay somebody to do it so that they can have it for their page and that's great that agreement's there but as soon as they took take that into like a commercial marketing aspect you know that 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 creator needs to be compensated again um you know if the brand has hired the person to go out and shoot content and uh you know they pay that that creator for that and then they share that that content with the athlete to use on their own page then that's cool too right that so be it but i just don't like when uh you know people don't get compensated for their work so i don't go out there just like sharing folders of of stuff to be like yeah free use you know because it's not somebody you know put some hard work into that so break, can you break that down for us a little bit more? So and if, an, if a brand engages with an athlete and the athlete does some shots for them and then puts them on their Instagram, for example, 
And then the brand uses those shots, whitelist them, not even whitelist them, blacklist them, is that a thing? And then puts them into an ad mm. campaign, um, but doesn't pay the athlete. What you're saying is that you would have a levels to your agreement, i.e. the athlete will organically post. That's one thing. If you want to use this in an ad campaign for your brand, from your brand, that's another thing. Is that right? Um, I'm just going to start fresh on this. So if there's a content creator and you're shooting an athlete, if the brand paid the content creator to go shoot the athlete, this is assuming the athlete's already a part of the brand, like they have an endorsement deal. So uh, we'll go, we'll just use Rad and Danielle again, right? If Rad pays uh, Justin Tomain to go shoot Danielle, then everybody can use the content, right? But if Danielle pays out of her own pocket, somebody to come and shoot her so that she has content for her agreement to be able to post about it, I don't like to then see the ath- the the brand utilizing that content as well because you know they didn't pay for it. She paid for it for her page. It's probably you know the photographer cutting them a deal because they're athletes and you know they don't have marketing budgets. Uh, and so it's one of those things where it gets a little gray. So I just like to try to make sure that hey, if the brand's going to be you know running content from this, let's make sure the content creator is taken care of and everybody's happy. Perfect. Thank you very much. So let's just quickly move into this realm because I'm really interested in building brands around athletes. And one thing that I don't understand typically well is why athletes don't have more brands themselves because they have all of the other components and e-commerce has such a low barrier to entry nowadays. It makes sense that they have very valuable parts of what is required to launch a brand an audience um, uh, a following, a brand equity. They have everything and, and really a small team of one or two people could possibly support them to launch something that's, you know, going to pay some bills. It's not going to be the next Nike, but it might pay some bills. And I even reached out to Mallory a long, long time ago. This was like when she first got onto the scene back when she was with her old trainer and just said, Hey, you're going to the games. Let's print some t-shirts and chuck a Shopify store up, you know, and <laughs> it never went anywhere. I, I, I was going to have a conversation with her mum, but I think by that time the, the wind was behind her and she was moving quickly. So I was maybe a year too late on that one. I'm kind of glad it didn't happen anyway, but what I want to understand is like, um, is that an approach you would take or just, is it, am I missing something? Is there a reason why these athletes don't build their own brands out around themselves? Uh, I, I think that the reason is that bandwidth, right? If you're an athlete, you got to focus on the main goal, which is being the best athlete you can possibly be. If that is truly like the main goal, if you're somebody who utilizes your athletic career to build your business, then that's a different thing. So for example, I believe Con Porter at some point had said, you know, I, I compete to go to the games, to be able to build my brand, to be able to move the needle, you know, whether that's sell product, win endorsement deals, whatever. And I, I mean, I love the honesty and the transparency, right? He doesn't, he doesn't care to win the CrossFit games, but he wants to go there and compete and put his, you know, put his name out there and, and continue to build, which is amazing. Uh, but if you're somebody like Justin Madero, it's like, you don't have time. You have to train and, and you've got to go try to win the games, right? But now if you're somebody like Josh Bridges, who's done competing, uh, you have the time it, and, and he's, he, we've leveraged that. So, you know, with the right athletes, the ones that have the, you know, desire for the entrepreneurial uh, side of things, then, you know, we, we try to create with them. So with Josh, we helped him build up his 
online platform, you know, his, 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 uh, subscription based model through his physical programming, um, his apparel and merchandise. And then we just recently switched over to the fitter app and run everything through a Shopify store now. So, you know, you can buy your merchandise, you can subscribe along. We, we helped launch good dudes coffee and help run that, uh, which is fun. Also e-com business, right. Direct to consumer. So, yeah, if you're if you're a if you're a businessman or a businesswoman and uh, you're kind of in the twilight of your career, then I think it's a great time to be doing stuff like that. I mean, look at Matt Fraser, right? He he retired and then he went full bore and has been crushing it. So um, I just think it's bandwidth, really. I don't I don't think uh, it's a it's a desire or like a why aren't they? It's just a timing thing. Where do you see the opportunity for brands at the minute? Where do you, where, what, what are you banging your head against the wall about where, you know, brands should be engaging with athletes? What are some of the things you just think these are no brainers? Every brand should be doing this. Uh, I think you should be creating with your athletes. So obviously it, it, it allows another revenue stream in terms of royalty to be able to compensate them, but it also uh, allows you to move product at a faster velocity directly to the, you know, athletes fan base uh i think that's number one it also helps with buy-in it stimulates the athlete and gets their creative juices flowing uh i would say another thing is you know you need to make sure you're activating the athlete and getting creative beyond just um you know putting them on your social channels like you have you, you know there's there's old means and ways of getting in touch with people i think sometimes people see a fatigue with with social media and the digital side of things and having a phone, like if, if anybody's anybody, anything like me, I mean, I have to like work off my phone and laptop and iPad, whatever, nonstop. And at the end of the day, sometimes I get like nauseous and I'm so sick of being tied in. And, and so it's like, go back to some of the basics, man. Like when's the last time you got a dope, you know, little catalog sent to you that you could just peruse while you're chilling there on the couch like Yeti does it and they do storytelling through it. And that's why they have a passion brand and people want to, you know, it elicits a emotion and a, and a yearning for the wilderness. So then you go drink out of your Yeti mug and you're like, damn, I'm badass. I need to go get into the woods. <laughs> and it, I, I like, I mean, dude, the other, like, I'm not, I never really hunted growing up, but I read a Yeti uh, story about this professional skier, which I grew up skiing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm immediately like captured on that. And this, this uh, gal wanted to go out and hunt her own meat because she wanted the freshest source of farm to table. She thought, well, or not farm to table, but like as, as you know, take, take out as many middlemen as possible and bring that thing right to the table. I don't even know mountains to table. Uh, but you know, I eat meat. I love meat. I love steak. So it's like, well, I shouldn't necessarily be opposed to harvesting it myself, especially if you, you know, honor the animal and use all parts of it. Um, and I, after reading this, I'm like, dude, now I need to buy a Yeti cooler and I need to go hunt my own animal and, and get my own meat and store it and utilize it all and use all parts of things. You know, it made me feel some type of way and it came from a catalog and people don't use that anymore. And it just felt old school and authentic and felt like it was something that, you know, you touched with your hand. So it's like, I think, I think companies need to, you know, get outside of just like the mundane process of, Facebook and Google ads and, you know, how do we get people into our email campaigns and we should shoot them an SMS because we launched a new product. It's like, go deeper, you know, create content or pieces of marketing that elicit emotion. 
And do you think athletes are up for doing that stuff too? Like, how would you how would you do that? I guess that would just be like a, a story based and physical photo shoot. Someone like Daniel Brandon taking it outside of the CrossFit space, maybe, or what do you think? There? Yeah, I just think I think yes, they are because they want to be involved in fun, engaging activities. It's just human, right? Like people have FOMO; they don't they don't want to be left out. They want to be involved in those things. It's just about timing. So during the off season lock in, get it done, make it happen. You know, you don't have to launch it for six months, but, you know, utilize them when they have the time to do it. And you'll probably get the best out of the athlete and it'll be very fun stuff. And that's, you know, that's what some of these brands are starting to do. And it's, it's been quite cool. Some of the people listening to this are going to be brand managers themselves. They're not going to be operating at the same level that you do in terms of the caliber of the talent, but also in terms of the kind of roster, but they will have some of the same problems, keeping, keeping your, influencers for want of a better word on task on brand and happy recruiting new people in um you know how can you give a brand manager at someone like ridge wallets some tips on how to approach working with people externally to the brand yeah i think it's you know the the tips would be something i would tell them if they were working with an athlete or if they're working with you know co and you know another employee within the within the business and that's one communicate, you know, don't, don't let something, you know, be proactive, not reactive. So communicate and communicate ahead of time, come with a plan and be organized, right? Stick to it. So it's, it's pretty simple stuff. It's just human nature. If, if you want to get things done, you need to come correct. Makes sense. How would brands reach out to you? Let's say a brand wants to engage with someone like Daniel Brandon. Well, first, just very quickly, a couple more questions. First, if if a brand wanted to engage with Danielle Brandon, how liberally available is she to other brands now that she has this agreement? Uh, I mean, a brand is always free to reach out to her. It doesn't mean she'll necessarily respond or she'll kick them my way, um, which is typically what happens. If it's a brand that's competing in whatever it is. So, I mean, if it's a footwear brand reaching out, then I'll just politely let them know that we can't communicate with them really because we're spoken for you know so uh but beyond that yeah they can just shoot her a dm on instagram or you know click her email button because it'll probably just go straight to me so fair enough and then you generally just field that make sure a good fit and then just start conversations is that just generally how it happens it's quite natural yeah and i mean there's times though where she'll be like hey i really like this thing you know whatever it be xyz and i i'll go out and reach out and try to you know drum up a conversation. But if a brand comes and reaches out for her, it's it's going to, you know, I'll always have the conversation. I don't try to not pick up the phone for anybody because, you know, you never know who you're talking to or, or her how will come back in the future. And um, that's just something I, I believe in. Um, but, you know, the first thing is going to be like, hey, you, we need to get product into people's hands. They need to try it. It needs to be, see if they even like it. And then I'll circle back with you in two weeks if there's, a, you know, a general interest and if people enjoyed their experience. But, you know, People have sent grips through or, you know, send through supplements and it's like, oh, well, that's not drug free. So we're not going to try that one. But, you know, maybe they send through a drug free product and, you know, she tries it. And she's like, yo, I, I don't like this. And it's like, OK, well, I'll let them know. Hey, we appreciate you sending it out in the time. But, you know, she wasn't a fan. So it's not going to be the right fit. It's better to just be transparent. Is that what happens? Like if, if freebies get sent, do they, does Danielle just go, I'm using Danielle a lot. Obviously, I know you have other athletes, but does she just say, right, Cooper, 
can I try this? Does it like, does it need to be vetted? Like if someone sends her a new grip or a new ring or a new whatever it is. I mean, it's probably been vetted because ideally they don't just have her address. So if they are able to send her something, it's true. <laughs> or her. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Let's wrap this up with just a quick, what are you most looking forward to this year? Name some of the highlights that you forecast for this year. Um, We are going to enter some of the more traditional and action sports spaces. So looking to bring in some awesome athletes to the family there. Very excited. Uh, Very excited to keep building the current athlete roster that we have. And very excited to say no to more things so that I can say yes to the right things. Well, we appreciate you saying yes and sharing it with us today. And uh, how can people reach out to you if they do want to get involved with any of your athletes? Uh, yeah, so you can hit me on Instagram at Cooper Marsh or Cooper at Lab MGMT.com. So it's Cooper at Lab Management.com. Uh, or you can find our Instagram Lab MGMT as well.